curtains and shivers down your spine And shrieking skulls will sock your soul and seal your doom tonight Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech To shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies speak Welcome to the first ever episode of Infinite Adventures! Adventures. Is me, your decomposing and dying rule lord, Pete. Uh, but I am not on my traditional podcast, Rise of the Rule Lords, in either the Unchained or Normal version. In fact, this is a new spin-off podcast because I love third-party content so much, I really wanted to explore it. But... I am not going on this adventure alone. In fact, I am very happy to introduce my first ever co-host. She's already an experienced podcaster with her own excellent podcast that she co-hosts called Dice Don't Die, Beth Perrin. Welcome. Hello. I am so excited to be here. And I am so excited that you're going to be joining us. Beth, if you haven't listened to Dice Don't Die, and you really, really should, is an expert analyst when it comes to really dissecting everything about Pathfinder, the classes, the ancestries, really diving deep into the the nitty gritty of a class. Me, I just look at it, it's like new and shiny and cool, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, I want to talk about it. Uh, Beth is going to go in and really examine these third-party classes for you on this show to tell you how good they are going to be for your game, how close they are to Paizo official products. Uh, Because the truth is, many of these things that are coming out are by people who are working with Paizo, who are getting to start working with Paizo. They are made with the same care and dedication that goes into creating Paizo classes, uh, ancestries, feats, items, adventures. And it's really kind of a stigma that I would like this podcast to help combat that they're not good enough for you to uh, to incorporate into your game. They're really awesome things that, you know, it, even if Paizo does have plans to implement them like they did with the Kineticist, it might take them a while or maybe they'll never touch them at all, in which case these third party publishers are filling in those gaps. And we really want to uh, call attention to the cool, really, really cool ones that stick out to us. One of the first classes that really caught our attention is a brand new class recently released from Samurai Sheepdog called the Necromancer. Yes, you've heard them in all kinds of different campaigns, but you've never gotten to play one in 2E until now. The book is called Band from the Boneyard, Galarian Necromancers, made by Pathfinder Infinite author Kevin Glessing, who is here with us today. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, uh, great to be on. Uh, thank you so much for asking me to join you guys. This I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> We're super excited that you're going to be talking to us about this new awesome class. Um, so this podcast is going to happen in two parts. First, we're going to dissect Kevin's brain about his uh, class, the inspirations behind it, things that you could know to maybe help develop your own classes or incorporate it into your game. And then Beth and I are going to take a deep dive into the class in our second part. Uh, This will be without Kevin, but we want to get started first with you, Kevin, uh, because we know that your time is valuable and uh, we really want to get talking about this class. So 
Tell us what inspired you to make the Necromancer class and uh, especially what kind of inspiration did you take to start building it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the, the Necromancer class, uh, specifically for Galarian, um, I built based on a conversion that we did uh, for Pathfinder 1st Edition, actually, where we created the Necromancer class for one of our settings. Uh, it's called Lands of Thea by Stephen Rashid James. And uh, before that, we actually also had a, a, the same Necromancer with different, uh, they're called Necromantic Studies. It's a feature that the class has both in 1st and 2nd edition. Uh, but we created it originally for our Book of Many Things, which is a collection of requests that we get from people around the internet and kind of put them all together into one compilation. Um, been doing that for going on four years now. So uh, taking those things and kind of converting them into Pathfinder 2nd edition now that the now that it's kind of found its footing, has been a lot of fun. And the Necromancer was kind of a natural fit when, uh, obviously, with October had come around and we were getting ready to put that together. And you mentioned that uh, there was an option in first edition, but that option was also made by you. Um, tell us, like, how, what are some of the similarities between what you did with first edition and bringing it over into second edition. Yes. So what we did with the Pathfinder first edition is uh, we created the class to be something that represents the necromancers who are not just wizards who take the necromancy school or clerics who uh, study, you know, lords of the undead and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Better, we wanted to kind of um, honor and uh, reminisce about the true necromancer class or the dread necromancer class. Uh, and in some cases, even to a lesser degree, the hallowed necromancer. Um, and so when we originally wrote the Pathfinder necromancer, we wanted to make sure that we had those kinds of options available to players. Um, in converting it to Pathfinder 2nd Edition, we actually did not replicate that same process immediately because the Galarian Necromancer has its own feel, has its own history and story in the world that may or may not immediately fit into those molds. And this incorporates a lot of lore from Galarian, especially, you know, incorporating new options that uh, came from the Book of the Dead. So what kind of research did you do into Galarian lore and bringing in those uh, Book of the Dead options to the Necromancer? Well, one of the first things that I did was I made sure that, you know, I read up on all of the different things in the Book of the Dead, um, basically from cover to cover, learning all about the different regions and the different um, characters who are at play, like Tarbafan, you know, the, um, the necromancers in Geb, the ghouls that they have uh, in the underground, like, city that they, uh, that they run. Uh, and then I, I expanded on that by going to, for example, Pathfinder Wiki has a lot of lore that is represented there from both first and second edition and even within stories that I may not have had time to read otherwise. Uh, so by Can I pulling just say, up, yeah. shout out to the people who maintain Pathfinder Wiki because holy crap, I cannot even imagine all the work that that takes. It is a very wonderful site, actually. And, and one of the things uh, that I did... Uh, more recently, actually, to help out was to recontribute back to it. To actually, I got signed up as one of the editors to be able to go in and make pages and create stuff and add things. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I haven't had much time to do that, but it is an option that I have available to me so that if I'm ever writing something and I come across something that I know is 
flagrantly <laughs> said in a different location or a different book, I can go in and I can edit that real quick and be like, okay, no, this is what it is. Sure. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's amazing. And part of the reason why you're able to incorporate so much of Galarian specifically is because of this cool perk you have as an infinite master. Tell us, what is the infinite master program and what did you do to get onto it? When I joined up on Pathfinder Infinite in the first days that it really became available, right? So as soon as it was live for us to sign up and start working on, um, I did so. And it's anybody can really go on and agree to the process and, and the, the procedures in order to actually get it done and, and start making products for Pathfinder Infinite. Um, but there's a few, you know, regulations, like you've got to make sure that your content relates directly to Galarian as a world and Paizo's content. Um, whereas if you sold anywhere else like drive through RPG, you actually have to specifically stay away from that. So they encourage anybody on Pathfinder Infinite to make sure that they're using the Galarian specific stuff. Um, in a, in exchange, you pay a, a minor fee um, in your royalties to be able to do that, but it also gives you the bump because Pathfinder and Paizo specifically is actually really good about boosting those products and saying, hey guys, check it out. This is the new stuff we've got in here. Um, and then that naturally over the course of the year, I've produced several products. Um, I think I'm up to like eight now. And uh, the I got reached. They reached out to me specifically, and several others that came along and said, "Hey, we want you to join this pro this program called Pathfinder Infinite Masters." Uh, originally, when Pathfinder Infinite came out, it was pretty much only Paizo employees, and so mm -hmm. myself and these other awesome designers, whose work I also have in my own libraries, um, were invited to join as like the first wave of people who got to put onto infinite masters that weren't directly working with Paizo. And um, yeah, so joined in on that and uh, it's, it's a really fun, you know, addition to the program for Pathfinder infinite. Um, as far as requirements, the only thing is we got to make sure that we kind of stay current on the products. So like we have uh, this product came out directly related to the uh, book of the dead, which was mm -hmm. great. And it came out around a time that the book of the dead, you know, had come out uh, within a couple months. Uh, we also have new stuff coming out. Anytime that Paizo has new products coming out, there's bound to be something that we've put together to go along and kind of complement that. Uh, for example, I know Impossible Lands is on its way out within the next week or so, and we have several products offered that we're looking forward to bringing to, bringing to that as well once it releases. Awesome. The Impossible Lands so excited. Book. Beth actually has it, lucky girl, behind her uh, on her screen. I know you guys can't see it as listeners, but uh, very jealous that you already got your hands on it. Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. It was one of the books we were most excited about for this year. So I uh, I had to get it immediately. <laughs> so <laughs> As soon as it came out. Of course, I said that about Book of the Dead, too. So maybe I'm just uh, a sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's so and nice about both of them is that they tie in so well because you have, you know, the Impossible Lands include Geb and a few mm -hmm. of those other locations. So you get some of that more of the lore tie-in that helps you build things like you could build a Necromancer and you have more information in Impossible Lands and the Book of the Dead to be able to help expand that character out. There's a lot of them in here that directly relate to Galarian, which is really cool that, uh, Necromatic studies you have the Gebite necromancy, uh, the way of the uh, or the whispering way, uh, all directly relate to 
you know, the Paizo stuff somehow. So you can easily take this class and insert yourself into the Bloodlords, which is awesome because, you know, it it's a adventure path in Galarian. You have these Galarian-related uh, things. So really cool thing for players to be able to look forward to. But one of the big things about a Necromancer is typically we kind of associate them with the bad guys. So <laughs> what would be... In your interpretation, the fantasy of playing this class as a player, like why is this a class that should be brought to players rather than just kept as, you know, the options for the NPCs that the players go fight? Well, what it is, is that in Galarian, necromancy is not immediately evil. It blurs the line sometimes, but if you're not the Whispering Tyrant or some other, like, god of death or something, you're really not necessarily an evil person or your your actions are not themselves evil. Um, they use things, uh, like in Geb, they have worker zombies that help to build stuff and carry things and do labor that, you know, otherwise they would employ things like slaves or anything of that nature. And so having those undead to be able to do that, you know, somebody's family might owe money to someone while well, they can sell their their post-mortem family member to rise as a zombie and go work for them. Um, and then, you know, in general, a lot of times you can see, you can also use necromancy to kind of fight necromancy. Uh, that's one of the things that one of the necromantic studies actually focuses specifically on is the Osirian necromancy. Um, Osirian does not like necromancy, does not like the dead, things like that, but they understand, or at least the necromancers do, the need for that kind of uh, option in order to be able to take them out and challenge the ones that are evil. I really love this line <clears throat> from the actually summary of the necromancer. It says the masses see necromancy only as one thing, an evil magic that undermines, undermines the life given to them by their so-called gods. But the art of necromancy is so much more. It is an arcane school a divine reckoning, an occult practice, and a primal force of nature. Uh, knowing that you wrote those words, uh, just very powerful. How did you try to embody all of those different aspects when you were writing about the necromancer? Well, I, I really wanted to make sure that we hit on all of the different ways with it being a necromancer that isn't just another version of the wizard's necromancer or something like that. I wanted to make sure that we really emphasized that you can have necromancy almost as its own entity in the universe. I mean, death is an element, uh, you know, and, and there's a whole plane dedicated to it and all of these things. And so to just put it into this one tiny area of magic is to, is to give it no, room to grow. And so we wanted to make sure that we pushed that, you know, to its limit and said, okay, so what was it, what does it look like to have primal necromancy? You know, you have decay and you have rot and you have rebirth and, you know, regeneration, things like that. Uh, and then same thing with, you know, occult necromancy versus divine necromancy, you know, divine necromancy, you're going to have the gods of death. You've got Orcus, you've got, uh, to a lesser extent, Bane and a few of the other arch devils that do that kind of stuff. Um, but then in, in occult necromancy, you're looking at, you know, you're studying the way that the mind functions after death. And so you might, you might animate a, a corpse using the electricity that still passes through it. The big meme that pops out to me when I think about 
Necromancer is the one with it's a comic and there's this warrior and he's like, I'm going to avenge my brother. And then the elf is like, well, you have my bow. And the dwarf says, in my axe. And then the necromancer says, and your brother. And (laughs) that is a good one. I can easily see a lot of people taking the necromancer into a a bad direction, you know, because it seems like one of those ones. But there's another line in here that I really love, which is um, where you have the others probably part, which Mm -hmm. is the... They secretly envy your talent and the mastery you've shown over death and undeath. They would never admit it, but if given a chance to prevent a loved one's fate or to at least speak with them one last time, they'd take it. And to me, that is an incredibly powerful part of necromancy that maybe kind of gets overshadowed by the 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 fantasy of just like bringing back a bunch of zombies. But a lot of people who get into necromancy are probably doing it for you know, very good reasons. Um, So it's really cool that you've managed to incorporate uh, good ways to be a necromancer into the class. So I have a little bit of a question. We've talked a lot of how steeped in Galarian lore this book is, because it it absolutely is. And shout out, uh, you should go pick this up, even if you have no intention of playing it, just to read some of the like the tie-ins to all of the lore and the different feats that tie in it's really mm-hmm. quite impressive in my opinion but i'd be really interested to know like what kind of real world uh influence you took when you were writing the necromancer um sure uh honestly i to an extent tried to avoid real world references to necromancy um because i wanted to focus this specifically on galarian and you know, down the road, if I write a, a, a an addendum or a new version or a new book that relates to the Necromancer, I may include those those closer to real world recognition. Um, but for this one in particular, you know, Galarian only has kind of a sideways tie into the real tie into Earth itself through you know through like the I think it's the Frozen Winter throne or something it's a it's one of the adventure paths from first edition but you know for the most part everything in here is actually galarian inspired even the we have one of the options in here relates to charon the uh the boat driver that takes people to the land of the dead and um in galarian he's actually a real character people go to Mm -hmm. him for secrets of the dead and things like that and they pay him you know putting coins on the eyes of the dead to get his attention and talk to him about that. And I know that they do that in, in Greek mythology, but I didn't come at it from the angle of the Greek mythology. Um, I, I took what was what was available to me through Galarian-specific information. You kind of incorporated real-world stuff by proxy of Paiso already have, incorporating some real-world stuff into Galarian. Kind of, yeah. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the broad concept of a necromancer and definitely the role of a necromancer in Galarian specifically. But now I want to talk about your necromancer. What makes your necromancer class so special? So, you know, Barbarian has uh, the rage ability. Investigators get to look at stuff real, real closely. What is the the big standout features of your class well uh let's see so just kind of starting from the from the front the necromancer itself for anybody wondering is a spontaneous spell casting class 
it has all of the things you would expect from such a class, you know, ninth level, 10th level spellcasting, uh, spontaneous spells, a spell repertoire, um, signature spells, things of that nature. Uh, when it really starts to kind of push into its own, comes in with, uh, we have Necrotic Touch, which is kind of a, it's, it's sort of the harm version of the cleric's ability to heal or harm as they do, but it's, it's harm specific, um, unless you're healing undead. Uh, which is actually a, a point in, a, a point of reference is the fact that with advanced necromancy, which is a, another class feature that they get, they have what's called the severance of power, which is all of their abilities that they get, they get access to these different spell lists. Well, they can't actually restore hit points to living creatures without very specific means of doing so. Um, and there's like a feed or two there that allows you to do it in kind of a gruesome way, you know. Um, so you might, you might actually stitch somebody's flesh together, but it's still going to not look great and <laughs> stuff like that, but you can't actually heal anyone in a traditional sense. And sure. so that, that helps to separate them out from those classes that get the spell lists with the ability to actually heal characters and stuff. And then after that, you know, their, their real breakout feature that is their own thing is their necromantic studies, um, which in other editions you might call an archetype or a subclass or something of that nature. Hmm. And uh, they get, we have, I want to say eight of those in here. Um, each one from a different region of uh, Galarian. You know, you've got Geb, Cabriri, uh, Mazali, and each of them has their own kind of tradition that's available to them. The, the class gets access to all four of the known traditions, um, occult, arcane, primal, divine. And they each give you your own, you get two special abilities whenever you pick them. Um, one of them, for example, the Mazali Necromancer is kind of a, um, they're a primal necromancer. And they get kind of like fire abilities that they get that kind of accent that region. And the child king that they have there, who he was raised as a mummy, and he was originally a, an evoker with like a lot of fire magic, you know, but now he's undead, so it kind of incorporates that. And there's just, there's a lot of those that, that really help to make this class its own and let it stand apart from being in a party with a cleric and a wizard and a druid. And you're not going to say, oh, he's just one of those, but with undead. He's a, yeah. a facelifted cleric or, or something like that. Exactly. They're going to feel like a necromancer. Yeah. And, and for it anybody. It has oh, a very distinct feel to it. Like that is one of the things when I first was going through it, I was like, yeah, this has a necromancer feel. It didn't feel like a uh, druid. Well, it didn't. Uh, or a cleric <laughs> or a wizard. It felt like a necromancer. And I really, I liked that about it a lot. I'm I'm very glad to hear that. It was it was definitely one of my goals that I set when I went to write this um, that I wanted to make sure it was its own. It could stand on its own too. Um, and then anybody that does want to maybe incorporate or dabble in necromancy uh, from this point of view, there is always the multi-class archetype. Um, and then also, if you're familiar with from Pathfinder Infinite, they have the spell trickster. Uh, mm -hmm. I did actually. I well, I spoke to uh, Dustin Knight, who is the author of that. Uh, and actually, I believe he wrote the original section that went into the Grand Bazaar that kind of hinted at the spell tricksters, and then he expanded on it in Pathfinder Infinite. So that, that goes back to your mention that, you know, some of these people who work on the products, they do work for and with Paizo regularly. Uh, but he wrote the spell trickster, and I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, I really like the spell trickster. They don't have a lot of necromancer options, what, or necromancy options. What do you think? 
if I was to include something like that here. And he, he loved the idea and we worked it up. And that actually helped to uh, build the iconic character who is introduced at the beginning of this book, Narisumashi. She is a uh, gnomish necromancer and she has just started her path down the spell tricksters almost by accident. So while we're talking about uh, Narisu, can I just say that the art in this book just goes so hard? I absolutely love mm-hmm. it. Uh, so fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about your process in terms of picking art and commissioning art and things like that? Yeah. Uh, so one of the really fun things about this and um, many of the products that I actually publish is I take a lot of advantage of the drive through RPG stock art library, which is surprisingly vast if you know what you're looking for and how to and how to search it out um every piece of art in here actually um from beginning to end is stock art from that website from drive through rpg uh wow. including narisu um so it's really cool because you look through a drive through rpg you know you're trying to find art and you find something you type in necromancer and you can find something by alan childers who i probably butchered his name but um he he did he actually created the art for narisu and I saw that and was like, oh, I need to, I need to incorporate her somehow. And it turns out after, you know, working everything out with uh, Dustin for the spell trickster, I was like, oh, she's going to be perfect for that. <laughs> it is a very professional looking book. And, you know, like Beth said, the art goes super duper hard. But the thing that I want to point out, because I'm just that kind of nerd, is that, you know, with just some slight font differences, this looks like it could have been taken out of a Pathfinder 2E core rulebook somewhere. The layout is fantastic where things are. When you're looking for class features for the Necromancer, you got that table. Uh, there's descriptions for you know where you're going to get the spells, what kind of spells. Um, it really does feel just like a, a Paizo made product. So well done. <laughs> On, on that front, it's, it is really gorgeous. It even has the sample necromancers, too. Yeah. So whenever you open up, uh, you know, a, a, a new class or anything in any of the uh, Paizo published books, it will have, like, sample versions. And it has a piece of art that is tied with that, that sample uh, class. Well, this had that too. And I absolutely loved that because there was a couple of feet trees that I was like, I, I, you know, I'm not able to like visualize and I wanted to sit there and I, I was going to build out a couple of necromancers. And then I kept scrolling. and I was like, wait, I don't have to do that. It's right here. <laughs> <laughs> And it had artwork to go with it, so I loved it. I know we've talked a lot about the Necromancer. I want to actually briefly touch on something you said way back in the beginning of of this interview, and that is, uh, you mentioned the Book of Many Things. And that's where uh, both the first edition Necromancer started, and then the second edition one as well. Uh, Can you tell me a little bit more of, like, what it's like to write for the Book of Many Things? Where can people uh, find that in terms of like how to suggest things, stuff like that? Uh, So that process has evolved a bit since it first began. Uh, Originally, when I began the book of many things, uh, it was about four years ago. I kind of just went on to the various Facebook groups that I followed and said, hey, um, I'm going through a rough time. Does anybody have some ideas to help keep me busy? Maybe I can write some stuff up for you for Pathfinder. Um, and, you know, and, and if you enjoy it, you know, we'll publish it and see what we do. 
And so got a lot of, lot of requests for some very interesting options and characters and races and classes and all those different things. And, um, it ended up filling like 200 pages of content. And ultimately I put all of those together and I published them on drive through RPG and a few other websites. Um, there's like the open gaming store and Paizo itself, actually it's available, but it kept going. You know, we, we finished the first one and I already had a backlog of requests from people that like, Oh yeah, you know, I want to, and I, I, for the second one, cause there's actually three volumes of the book of many things right now that exist. Um, and for the second one, I kind of consolidated a lot of the like video game centric requests and put it into that one, uh, and called it the shattered worlds, which actually kind of bred a, the concept for me that to this day, I'm actually still growing now is, and this is going to sound like something from MCU, but it actually was what, like four, maybe longer years ago before even they started using the term. But we did, we had a, we had like a multiverse of different options that, that come together from things like you could play Samus Aran and you could play uh, Mega Man from, you know, those games and stuff. But yeah, so we put all of those together for Pathfinder and now we have our Patreon, which is Names Games. And that is where I take the requests. Um, I actually, I still have a backlog of requests I'm slowly working on as time permits, but uh, over the years, time has less permitted. <laughs> so I take, I still take requests. We actually have two request spots open right now. And I do 5th edition, Pathfinder 1st edition, and Pathfinder 2nd edition. Um, I can do Starfinder. I don't do it as often, but I am capable of doing so. And we, we actually published a Transformers race for Starfinder um, called the Mechanin. Yep. Uh, and that was actually in the 2019 annual collection. We've got uh, 2019, 2020, 21, and now 22 that we're working on. We're right in the middle of that annual cycle. We go from April to March each year, uh, releasing uh, another 200-page book. So actually, I think now with that and the three, five versions of the Book of Many Things, I'm probably going on six, seven years now wow. of doing this. Wow. Really yeah. That is quite a lot of accolades. Well, I <laughs> I appreciate that. I I guess I could. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, but definitely, I do have I do have the two spots open right now that are available for anybody that wanted to jump on and, and make some kind of a request. So I'm going to ask you the the impossible question for a creative, which is what is your favorite part of this book, whether it's one of the spells, one of the feats that you made, uh, one of the uh, ways that you made. What about this book? When you made it, you're like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, actually, that is not as hard to think of uh, as one <laughs> might believe. Uh, my favorite part of the book was definitely being able to create the new necromantic studies that are specific to Galarian. So the original Pathfinder first edition version of the Necromancer, we have I, something like 12 or 13 necromantic studies that are all their own things. There's like blood necromancy and voodoo necromancy and uh, true necromancy, dread necromancy, uh, just to name a few. And going into, going into this, I wanted to say, you know, I definitely want to do something new. I didn't know I, at the time that I had eight of them available to me, um, <laughs> but it worked out and I love them all. They're fun in their own different ways. They all have their own aspects, uh, whether they focus on combat or exploration or role play for the three different pillars. All of those things are available so that you don't feel like you're left out in any given part of the game. Created those and, and I look forward to 
expanding those out with even more down the line whenever I translate the others to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I gotta tell you, my favorite is The Whispering Way, partially because Tarbafon is my favorite big bad villain of Pathfinder, and you got the the feel of it like exactly right like it's it's all great to have the the necromancer who's doing stuff for good and you know the the sympathetic hero the the whispering way is to me when you want to be that cheese ball uh kind of necromancer and just like really put on your palpatine voice and uh be like do it yes i shall be <laughs> siphoning the life out of you <laughs> Just going all ham. I I love campy characters, and you know camp is camp is a thing that I think is sorely underrated nowadays. Um, but you know, Agreed. yeah, <laughs> just being able to go like all out on being of investing into the 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 creepy kind of 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 necromancer, the whispering way, I think is the way to go. Yeah, that one that one's a lot of fun because it it gives you that chance to kind of be the necromancer. That yeah, okay. Let's we're we're gonna cut to the chase. This one's probably going to be easy, <laughs> but your party is gonna work with them because of some greater need to fight something else. Maybe the paladin isn't gonna be happy if they're around or the champion, but uh, you know they they still serve their purpose and and they have their reasons for doing what they do, just like any of them. They might even be using the whispering way against the whispering tyrant. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about our favorites. Favorites, you already mentioned mine, which was the Mazali. Flame Necromancy, yes, please sign me up. So, because of that, I have to pick the Ergothoan study. The idea of like spreading disease and how, well, I'll get into it later, but the interactions you can have with the different uh, Ergothoan feats that you can pick and just everything, blah, it's perfection. Well, thank you. That one's a fun one. I, I really liked learning about Ergothoa. I did not know about that uh, goddess oh, before this oh. project. So finding her and finding the art of her that they have available in the different yes. mediums is so fun to see. She is actually one of my favorites and has been um, for a really long time. There's also some capital A, like fan art of her as well and yeah. just of course i'm a i'm a big scythe person too so you mean that that gets to be my my dd's favorite weapon yes yeah i'm in come on <laughs> absolutely so the book again is called ban from the boneyard galarian necromancers there's going to be a link to it in the show notes of this podcast again cannot recommend enough we're going to be deep diving into it in just a moment so that you can hear all the nitty-gritty about this class but kevin if people want to find more about you more about your projects where can they find more of kevin we have our website samurai sheepdog.com i try to update that at least once a month with what's been going on uh what new options we have and available uh, on all of our different websites that we sell we have Our Patreon, again, is uh, Names Games. But yeah, the Names Games Patreon is where you can go to get up to four years of content. If you want to get in on this year's cycle, it's April through March, so it'll be up through next year, 2023 March. And $10 will get you the whole thing. $20 will get you a request, and you can build your own race or your own class or whatever it is that you're interested in. And then, of course, I'm, I sell my products on DriveThruRPG, Pathfinder Infinite, Open Gaming, and Paizo. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. Uh, we're about to dissect 
the Necromancer. So make sure that you stay tuned after this brief message from our sponsor. Hello, my name is James Beck from Eldritch Osiris Games. Eldritch Osiris Games is the first TTRPG workers co-op in history, specializing in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Eldritch Osiris Games is built on the foundation of giving voices to creative authors who don't normally have a roadmap into the publishing industry. We push forward as a diverse set of voices in the company, regardless of a person's identity. Part of the foundation is equality, with every person in the staff having a say on all important decisions the company makes. Being the first TTRPG co-op, we are here to set an example that workers' equality is not only possible, but instead become the industry standard. Basically, we're a group of nerdy friends who want to publish work for people to enjoy. You can find amazing work such as the Ironclad and Symbiote class, or dive into new ancestries like the Uplifted Bear. And if you're a GM, check out our amazing one-shots and bestiaries to spice up your combats and adventures. Find all of this and more on EldritchOsirisGames.com or follow us on Twitter at EldritchOsiris for constant updates. Well, I guess we should get the rules lore talking again. Welcome back to the adventure. Now is the section where Beth and I are going to take a deep dive into the Necromancer class really dissecting everything from the spells, the special features of it, to each of the individual spell classes. So, with that, let's get started. No, but wait! Before we actually get into the class, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, something on Pathfinder Infinite that caught my attention this week. So, I want to talk about a very interesting uh, third-party ancestry. Now, this isn't necessarily something that I would do like a deep dive on because uh, it is pretty short, right? It's just a quote unquote, just an ancestry, but it is so cool. And the artwork immediately popped out of me. So this is Mary Bears by Calder Cadavid. And if there is a cartoon bear in your mind, I immediately went to Gummy Bears. So there was a TV show in the 90s called The Gummy Bears. Have you ever seen it? Never seen it, but I did watch Ewoks a lot mm. as a kid. I don't know if you... Yeah, definitely different. Yes. Different, but also <laughs> bears. Little bears. Yeah. No, no, no. Fair. Um, I wonder if there... I bet there's like a feat somewhere in here where you could be like an Ewok type thing. <laughs> um... Like, legitimately, it's so cool. So if you wanted to be a Care Bear, it has kind of options that lean towards that, obviously not using Care Bear. It has options to be a Gummy Bear. It even has, uh, what did it call, Bouncy Juice that you can craft, <laughs> which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. It has some really awesome feats, ancestry feats that are associated with it. You can be a belly rune bear because of course you can. It's Care Bear. <laughs> uh, you could be a like Winnie the Pooh and be honey fed Mary Bear, the juice keeper, which is, oh, Leaper's Elixir. That's what it's called. The bouncy juice is called Leaper's Elixir. Oh, okay. And I just... Absolutely love it. It's so whimsical. The art is amazing. The feats like really feed into that. I love things that are thematic, right? Like yeah. 
that just absolutely go hard on a theme, still make logical sense, still have like things that will be useful in a general campaign, but when it comes down to it, they're still amazing for the theme. And this 10 out of 10, absolutely going to play a Mary Bear eventually. Just so fantastic, well-written. Please, 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 please go buy it. At level one, if you are a... Well, actually, it doesn't even have a limitation. You can be any Mary Bear, and you can get a bottom bouncer. So, trigger, <laughs> if you take damage from falling, you become remarkably bouncy and spry. You make an athletics check, and on a success, you stand and leap. On a critical success, you get to long jump or leap. And it's oh. just so cool. Like, you can turn your fall damage into a bouncy, and it's just... It gives me all the vibes for just a whimsical character. Like, this would go really well in a group with a Shuni uh, and a Cobalt. And just, no, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> How dare you for interrupting me. But also, second, <laughs> that reminds me of something that was actually given to me graciously by uh, Jason Bullman, which was review copies of his Pathfinder 2nd Edition hack zombie apocalypse hack called hope finder which i know zombies are like passe now but i've never really gotten out of zombiness like i loved uh the walking oh, dead before it was turned into a tv show that absolutely butchered its amazing plot love world war z before it made a movie that absolutely <laughs> gutted the awesomeness that made that book amazing zombies are just awesome and so the fact that you can not only play a zombie campaign with pathfinder second edition rules but amazingly converted into the modern setting uh, while still having the pathfinder 2e rule set is really awesome and i haven't gotten to play it yet he sent me free copies of the narrator's guide and the survivor's guide um so i just want to put that out there that uh even though he gave me these free copies i've looked over them i think i authentically think it's it's really cool. I think that you should go pick it up if you are someone who wants to run that kind of campaign. Maybe awesome. even without the zombie part, if you're just kind of looking for inspiration about how to take Pathfinder 2E into a more modern setting, this book might help you out. But if you're like me and you would love to have a mm -hmm. zombie apocalypse romp with a three-action economy, this seems like a, a great conversion for you. I mean... I I'm totally in. Uh, the idea of a, a mm -hmm. sort of more modern setting uh, or post-apocalyptic, yes. dystopian, that kind of stuff, absolutely. And like, you know, of course, if you, if you just want to have, you know, a bunch of undead fight against your players, like, that's, that's a whole cool, cool thing provided by Book of the Dead. But now, with the Necromancer class, see that? cool segue that i did to get us back on the topic <laughs> <laughs> i did with, yep. mm -hmm. with the necromancer Clever. class you can now bring undead even more into your fantasy mystical magical dragons who happen to be in dungeons uh kind of setting so we are going to go over the class and beth is really going to take the wheel here because like I said at the start, she is fantastic at really dissecting and analyzing each individual bit. But I do have some cool uh, insights or, you know, opinions 
every once in a while. Good opinions. I'll I'll mind you from the start. Um, but we are. How dare you have opinions? How dare I? Me, a straight white male man. The world needs more of my opinions. I agree. I think that if it was just me prattling on uh, for an hour uh, about the class, it would get boring quickly. So (laughs) I am always here for your opinions. Right away with already, like for those of you guys who don't listen to Deep Dive, one of the things that I typically go over are the basics, right? What do you get as your initial proficiencies uh, and that kind of thing? And already we're out the gate with something really interesting. So that's the saving throws. So trained in will, trained in reflex, expert in fortitude. So if you listen to the first part of the show, you already know this is caster class, right? We're going to be talking about spell casting, you know, here, here in like 20 minutes. Trained in will? What? Expert in fortitude? Yeah, that's low for a class, for a caster. Yes, it is in fact the only caster that is set up this way, where you are only trained in will and you are expert in fortitude, which is- That seems more like a martial awesome. class. It does, and there's definitely a reason for that. We'll, we'll, we'll get into why a little bit later. I think that, that that is part of it, but also there's this physicality that comes with a necromancer. And you also see that with the hit points, right? So the hit points mm-hmm. is eight plus your constitution modifier, which is, again, not unheard of, but high for a uh, caster. Right. So there's this physicality that is automatically built in on the necromancer that I think is really interesting. So that not only are you building skeletons and zombies and raising the dead, but you're in some ways using yourself, right? So in order to uh, perform necromantic acts, you have to be an expert in fortitude, right? Because if you can't handle it, well, your creations aren't going to make it. And that yeah, is just so it's, cool. it's a whole school of magic about putting putting the body to its its limits. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense. There's there's definitely other reasons for having the fortitude so high, but it's it is definitely worth pointing out that this is a different kind of spellcaster than what you might be used to. In fact, it's very similar to what the kineticist is like with uh, Paizo's recently released playtest, where it was sort of a spellcaster, but functioned a lot like a marshal in its mechanics. And you can listen all about that in my interview with Vanessa Hoskins uh, about the comparison between her kineticist and the Paizo. But anyway, yeah, interesting observation. Yeah, so keeping on down with the sort of what I call standard stuff, you're trained in perception. That's very standard. If we're talking about like a caster chassis that classes are built on, that's pretty uh, normal. Par for the course. Exactly. Uh, you are trained in simple weapons and light armor, which is on par with like a cleric, right? So that's not mm-hmm. unheard of. Key ability modifier, charisma only. Now, this I find to be very interesting, right? That you're a charisma caster mm-hmm. as a necromancer, which I think feeds off of the idea that like clerics are wisdom casters right so you go off of charisma i would have personally liked to have seen a charisma or intelligence 
Mm. With that being said, you do have to pick your study or your uh, spell casting. So I could get the idea of like, well, that's just a lot to pick, right? And a lot right. to balance. So king it to charisma only. I, I kind of understand. Of course, there's also a house rule. You know, we're talking about third party products. Let's talk about house rules too. There's actually a house rule that you could apply to every single one of your class that, that anybody just picks any key ability modifier. Yeah. You could play that way. So, you know, I would think that with the necromancer, you know, have a conversation with your GM if you really want to do like an intelligence based necromancer. But charisma, yeah. like for the most part, makes sense. This also seems like it could have been an interesting part to add in a constitution-based spellcaster, which we know is, again, kind of what the kineticist is doing. But in line with the fortitude part, someone who has to, like, kind of keep their body together, since most necromancer art is kind of like of, a, of an undead kind of person. Right. I don't know. To me, that could have been a little interesting, too. But I, I get what you're saying. I I will say that if we're if we're looking at this from like a balance perspective, that could be essentially like too many eggs in one basket, right? So mm. constitution is already going to be very important to you just because of your hit point total and that you're I mean, one, you're a caster. Like when you get hit, you don't want to immediately die. But Two, there's some other stuff we're going to talk about a little bit later that makes you want to have enough hit points to be able to sacrifice a bit, right? Putting too much reliance on that one stat could be a bit of a balancing factor. Mm. Uh, additionally, when we're talking about the playtest uh, for Kineticist, it definitely had that sort of melee chassis that I... I always like to talk, right? Like, it's saving right. throws. We're very in line with a melee character. And so, uh, as much as the third party one, published by Vanessa, is a caster, that one isn't. And so, it to me, is kind of interesting um, that this takes a, a different route to that. Sure. Uh, so, while we're talking about spellcasting, let's talk about what kind of spellcaster it is. So you are a uh, spontaneous uh, caster. You have something called uh, necromatic spellcasting, which means that you just automatically get all necromancy spells. Yes. Which is really kind of... Uh, that is under um, advanced necromancy. It's one of the coolest features that Kevin incorporated, and as I'm sure you're about to mention... Uh, made a point of listing out up to this point of release all of the necromantic spells from all of the first party books up to and including uh the dark archives yeah so it, it's kind of just a quick reference of hey here's your spell list now with your magical tradition that you pick later on um because this is one of those classes that you get to pick your magical tradition you also get those spells right like you normally can can pick from them but the necromancy spells just automatically are your spell list and let's be real here, that's what you're going to pick 90% of the time anyway. I mean, now, like, why would you be a necromancer and choose, I don't know, a 
hydraulic push or <laughs> whatever <laughs> a water spell are you kidding yeah, me no yeah absolutely not you wouldn't um of course there are some things that like just are really fantastic utility utility spells and stuff like that that i'm sure people would want on their list yeah there's stuff that comes up but when it comes down to it you're gonna put a bunch of necromancy spells on your spell list so let's just be real right now i will say that your access to all of this necromatic power comes at a price. That's literally a line out of the book. Uh, and that is severance of power. So you cannot use your necromancer spell slots to cast spells that restore hit points. Now, if you get spell slots from like an archetype or something else, you can use those just fine. Right. But anything that you get from necromancer cannot restore hit points to living creatures. Yes. So your necromancer is not typically, we'll talk about options later, it's not typically going to be your healer, right? It's just yeah. not their jam. It's not the There vibe. are ways you could do it with, mm -hmm. of course, treat wounds, medicine checks, potions, but you're not going to be oh, casting heal. Exactly. No, definitely not. You're definitely going to be casting harm a lot. And that comes from an ability called Crotic Touch. Now, Crotic Touch is very similar, uh, but not to be mistaken with, the ability that clerics get called Divine Font. So Necrotic Touch allows you to cast harm as a, an additional spell slot each day, uh, equal to one plus your constitution modifier. Oh, so, there we go. There it is. I told you constitution was going to be super important to you, and that is because you're in a chronic type. So essentially, just like Divine Font, you get a, a bunch of extra harm spells that you can cast. Now, it does have some limiters on it, uh, which I found very interesting. Um, first level, you can actually only cast the one action harm spell. So you can't extend it um to the the two action or the three action right which gives it a range and gives it a like a burst effect right uh you can still use metamagic feats but uh you can't uh cast it using the multi-action stuff until level five so level five you can cast it using the two action version of harm and then at ninth level you can cast the three action level so this is to balance a little bit of the fact that harm is an incredibly potent spell and mm -hmm. you're able to cast it let's be real here you're going to be putting constitution as your secondary stat like five times a day um <laughs> which is bananas so yeah you know that's just a, a little bit of a, a limiter on so you're gonna have to walk up to a lot of people give them a poke which Correct. is going to, for a spellcaster, put you into a lot more of harm's way, <laughs> harm's <laughs> way, than a spellcaster typically wants to be. You usually want to be behind the big bulky fighter, but the necromancer, to really get utility out of their harm ability, needs to be walking up to people and sucking the life out of them. Yeah. Exactly. So that is already why, you know, we have that little bit higher of a constitution modifier. One, we have a ability that keys off of it. And two, we're going to be up in people's faces, right? So that's why we have the uh, light armor proficiency. You know, if you get free archetype, which is one of my favorite house rules, or not house rules, uh, alternative rules. rules. 
variant. Thank you. Uh, words. <laughs> uh, free archetype is like amazing. Y- you are going to want to try to get maybe medium or heavy armor proficiency out of that. That might mm-hmm. might be the focus that your character goes. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but uh, definitely an option. So necrotic touch is, in my opinion, like one of the coolest things. And actually, when we get to the feats, you'll see that there's a lot of feats that actually build off of that as well. Right. Uh, and then, of course, uh, with the rest of the spell casting you get, you know, y- you get essentially three spells for every level that you can cast your spell level so you know at fifth level you still get access to first second and third level spells you just have these harm spells on the side as well right which is pretty awesome yeah so you're you're gonna have a lot of spells that you can do as a spellcaster. it's not just gonna be harm um like the wizard or uh or cleric, uh, your spells keep on going up, unlike, you know, Magus or Summoner, where you only have, like, a couple spells that you get per level. You're going to have a, a huge list. So, oh, yeah. don't worry. There, There's going to be a lot of stuff that you can do. Oh, definitely. In my <laughs> opinion, one of the things that this classic sells at is knowing what to do in a given moment, which is usually hurt people. Let's yeah. be real here. Like This is a Pathfinder campaign. That's what we're doing 90% of the time. Necromancer just cuts out all the middlemen and casts harm. <laughs> <laughs> Which I absolutely love. So that is kind of all of the uh, basic little bits of the class, right? Uh, you level up your features just like you normally would. You eventually will access to level 10 spells. The thing that I really want to get into now are the necromantic studies, right? So every class in Pathfinder has the subclass, the, the thing that makes you unique, right? The rogue has its rackets, uh, the cleric has its doctrines. Mm-hmm. For a necromancer, that is the necromancer studies, necromantic studies. Now, the thing that is absolutely bananas to me, there are eight of them in this class. Which is a lot. That is... That's so many. (laughs) It's so many. Additionally, you know, like we talked about a little bit earlier, because this is part of the Infinite Masters line, it is so steeped in lore. There are so many things. It's kind of crazy, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. How much lore is referenced in this book. Yeah, these are not just like, you know, uh, placeholder necromancers or you know the 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 very base level of what you would think a necromancer is the ergothan necromancer is going to feel like an ergothan necromancer it's not just the bring people back from the dead necromancer or the you know looks like a dead person necromancer these are going to feel like the school of magic in which they're emulating from pathfinder lore yeah No, absolutely. And we're going to get into each and every one of these because they're all really interesting. uh, And I want to give them each just a little bit of time to talk about. So we're going to start with Real quick, do you want to go into what a Dominion is? I think you did that. Oh, yes, I did. You're right. So before we talk about individual necromantic studies, I do want to mention that each one of the studies gives you access to two Dominions. 
So dominions are something unique to the necromancer, but only kind of, right? They're very similar to a cleric's domain. And in fact, dominions that are the same name as a domain, you would take the rules and the spells from that original resource as your dominion. You just call them dominions, and additionally, you don't have the deity requirements. Okay, so, in my opinion, they're even better. (laughs) (laughs) No, no big bad boss looking down at you, judging everything that you do, Uh, especially that pesky Phrasma being all judgy about the the life and death and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely not. So, yeah, so if I mention the uh, dominions that they get access to, one, you still have to take it through a feat, just like Cleric. So Cleric has to take a domain initiate. You have to take dominion initiate. Just keep that in mind. These are the ones you get access to, uh, if you were to pick up that feat. Now, when we get to the feat section, I'm going to say is one of the best feats. So definitely keep that in mind. So now we want to talk about the individual necromatic studies. So first up is the Gebai. So this is our first of the arcane traditions, uh, which is pretty great. Obviously, everything is going to be related to Geb and Please Clap. clap. Uh, it, it's it's my stupid joke. Every time I see Geb, I think of Jeb, Jeb Bush. Oh, like- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Please clap. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, that's I say good. it every single time <laughs> in my mind. Geb, yes. Oh, I love it. Oh, don't disrespect Geb that way, bro. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Uh, anyway, so the Geb uh, necromancer really has this feel of a healer with the undead. Like I said, it's arcane tradition. The skill that you're going to automatically get and um, that levels up with you is arcana. Uh, I guess I didn't really talk about that, but you do get essentially a skill at every with every necromatic study that you become trained in. So right. every every necromatic study is going to give you a skill. For this one, it is arcane, which totally makes sense, right? Yeah. The dominions are magic and perfection. Totally anything you know about Geb, you know that those were going to be the dominions. And then you get a couple of uh, special abilities. The first is you get Touch of Undeath, which is a focus spell. So you automatically get a focus point with that. And then you get this Touch of Undeath uh, focus spell. I'm just reading it real quick. Yeah, I think it's on Archives. Yeah, it is. Okay, so this is originally a cleric, so you would add the uh, necromancer tag to it as well. It essentially allows you to target uh, life force itself, and then you do negative damage. So, kind of cool. Nice little focus spell. Uh, Obviously, it heightens every level, and so, you know, once you, you actually get up and level, it does a decent amount of damage, too. Then you get... An ability called the quick and the dead, which I really love that uh, because I grew up in a very uh, religious household and there Mm. was a right. We would cite the Lord's prayer and there's a line in there, the quick and the dead. So anyway, I thought that was funny. Uh, Oh, I was thinking of the fast and the furious. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love the two, the dichotomy of that. Those are very two different resources uh, or, or references, and I am here for it. Love it. And now all I have is family stuck in my head. Uh, so the Quick and the Dead gives you access to the Stitch Flesh. Try that again. The Quick and the Dead gives you access to the Stitch Flesh skill feat, uh, and you can use Arcana to treat wounds but only of the undead. So the Gebite Necromancer is really your undead healer. And I absolutely love it. Then at fifth level, this is still under Quick and the Dead, when you use Arcana to treat wounds or you use your Necrotic Touch, right? You can heal one living, uh, willing living creature's flesh. But doing so gives makes the target look undead so you know you got this human buddy that you're traveling around and some reason he really likes you and you're like whatever dude and he's like yeah you know i'm bleeding from my chest here like fine go ahead and heal me uh you can do that but they now look undead right their pallor goes green or blue you know their their skin becomes sunken and uh when they go to the inn you know, they're going to actually take a circumstance bonus on diplomacy checks, you know, to, yes. to make an impression on living creatures because there is this like stigma on the undead. Right. So I just absolutely thought that was hilarious that, yes, you could heal your <laughs> your human buddy, but he's going to take a negative. So do you actually want to heal him? I don't know. And just to be clear, the word that they use is undead mean, which for people who look into it, that's what it means. Mean means appearance. So yeah. there we go. We just saved you a, a Google search. Uh, yes. Yeah. No, I really, uh, I loved the, that he used that word, actually. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, and then finally, under advanced studies, so this is something that you get, I think it's at fifth level. An advanced study? Yes. Uh, seventh. Seventh level. You get your advanced study at seventh level, which does, it gives you something called undead form. So you get to choose any of the battle forms. So aerial form, animal, dinosaur, humanoid, or pest. So any of the level appropriate ones. Mm. And you get to add that to your uh, spell book, right? Which is great. Just as you would normally cast a spell, you can cast this instead. Additionally, you can actually use one of your extra spell slots from Necrotic Touch to cast this. Which is also pretty cool. But so that's not the cast... coolest part. No, oh no, definitely not. So when you cast this uh, form, battle form on yourself, you appear as the skeletal or zombified version of that. So you pick bear, you become a zombie bear. Pick bird, you become a skeletal bird, which is just amazing. You get the undead trait uh, and you get a skeleton or zombie ability of your choice, such as like feast or screaming skull. So cool. So cool. So uh, I absolutely love this. I think that the fact that you you can take a battle form uh, is really great. I have like personal beef <laughs> with some of the like uh, battle form rules. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, definitely keep that in mind that like battle forms can get a little weird, but especially if you, you know, take uh, 
extra feats, uh, if you spec into Druid, your battle form could really uh, be amazing. But even beyond that, this could be something that helps you out, right? Uh, it could be a u- utility spell for you as well, especially if you mm-hmm. took Pest Form. All right, you're going to get the fly ability. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to get into areas that maybe your normal form couldn't. Also, I just imagine you would pick the skeletal, so pest form, you would pick the skeletal version, and you would just be the husk of a cicada. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, those are so oh, gross. It's, it's so gross. And I just absolutely love that idea of, like, you just flying around as this husk of a, of a bug of some sort. Um, Yeah, no, no. I just think thematically, <laughs> ugh, perfection. Have you never seen a ske- the, the husk of a cicada? It looks exactly like the normal one. It's just huge and stays yeah, exactly where it was. And, <laughs> and it takes you a moment to be like, oh, that's not is, a real that, is that real? It's not moving. It hasn't moved. But the thing is, that's exactly how real cicadas are too. Yeah, so except they're also loud as hell. Yeah, they're loud as hell. But when you go up to figure out if one is real, you're taking a 50-50 shot of this is either a husk or it's going to, you know, expand its wings and fly at your face. So, yeah, yeah, personally, uh, super creepy. If I was to take this, definitely going dinosaur form and just being a giant T-Rex skeleton all the time as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Like, dinosaur form would be really cool. Uh, <laughs> and, a, and a zombified uh, T-Rex, absolutely. 100% here. Next is the Cabrian Necromancer. So this is all surrounded around uh, ghouls, which is really, really awesome. Uh, and, of course, the uh, Cabrian Priest King. Uh, Cabrian Priest King. Again, all of these are, like, references to Galarian lore. Mm -hmm. I'm going over mostly deep diving into the mechanics of it, but just understand, like, start going onto the wiki or pulling up your reference books. The Lost Omens guides are absolutely great for this, Uh, a.k.a. the Impossible Lands one. (laughs) Pick it up, it's really awesome. Uh, But anyway, like, and just start reading about this stuff, right? So the lore is absolutely amazing. Just be aware of that. But anyway, the Cabrian Necromancer is the uh has the occult tradition. Uh, you do get the occultism skill, and then d- the uh dominions you get are knowledge and vigil. So because this is all surrounding about ghouls, right? That's that's kind of uh the Cabrian thing are ghouls. The first thing that you get is ghoulish transformation. So whenever you use your necrotic touch, you gain a claw attack for one minute. Ah. And you can actually take uh, feats to, to buff that up as well. If you get the ghoul archetype, which was in Book of the Dead, your claws gain the backstabber and fatal traits. instead yeah so i love that it actually had a like hey if you already can become a ghoul here's how you improve so i think that's Mm -hmm. really cool right and it still has that same like one minute um duration time 
and you still have to cast Necrotic Touch to get access to those as a ghoul, which I think is cool. Then at third level, this is still under ghoul transformation, you get ghoulish cravings, uh, which is a, a spell. You have to add that to your uh, spell repertoire, so you could cast that with all of your spell slots. And then at fifth level, you also get jaws. To get to bite people. Yep, you get to bite people, you do additional uh, damage, uh, they get the grapple and trip traits, and again, if you have the ghoul archetype, uh, you actually treat a crit failure as a failure instead uh, for grip and trap, uh, grapple and trip, uh, which is great, right? Because if you try to trip somebody and you crit fail, you trip instead, so it's always nice to have something that's like, no, I don't. I just fail. <laughs> then your advanced studies is Fever Touch. So this is a one action ability that you gain at seventh level where your last action was to cast harm. So it can be the first, uh, the um, one action version of that or the two action. And you have to have one use of ne Necrotic Touch remaining. Now I will note, it says your last action was to cast harm. That does not mean you had to have used Necrotic Touch. You could have used your regular spell slots, okay? So mm -hmm. just keep that in mind. So you spend one use of Necrotic necrotic Touch and cast Ghoulish Cravings on the same target. So essentially, you cast harm on somebody, and then you, as a one action, get to cast Ghoulish Cravings on that same target. Now... Good news about that, right, is Ghoulish Cravings is a two-action spell, typically. Yes. Uh, so you're getting two, two for one, basically. You get two for one, yes, but they still have to make their save. So that's the downside, is they still have to make that Fortitude save. Yeah, but, but who's good at Fortitude? Only everyone. I mean, <laughs> it, it might be the most common save uh, a high save for most monsters, but yeah, I still think it's uh, a pretty cool interaction. The fact that you can uh, cast harm and then immediately cast ghoulish cravings as uh, an extra action. Right. So yeah, uh, the Cabrian Necromancer definitely has uh, ghoul vibes, which is uh, great. I will say that one of my sort of downsides to this is that, you know, your your harm spell is already going to be limited to uh, the one action version anyway, up until level five. So, you know, you're going to be up in combat, which is why you kind of get the, the claws anyway. But then you start to kind of have to pick a secondary stat or, or a, a tertiary stat, right? Because you've already invested in charisma because that's your primary casting stat. You've already invested in constitution because that's how you get your uh, divine or not divine um, ne necrotic touch. And now you're going to have to either pick, um, well, probably going to be dex, uh, you know, to make your claws worth it. So like, right. just kind of understand that this is, this is giving you like a combat option, which is great to have, but you're never going to be dealing as much damage as like your fighter, right? right. So just like, you're never going to be slashing somebody's throat open doing, you know, 50 points of damage at early levels. Just, you know, set your expectations to the the reasonable. Yeah. Additionally, with, with Fever Touch, I do wish that it was a... Uh, a free action, um, which I understand would be very powerful. I do get that. But I feel like 
one, you have to cast harm then with the one or two levels. You can't cast harm with your third, with your three action, which is kind of the limiting limiting factor, right? Like that's mm-hmm. to to make sure that you're not doing like a 30 foot emanation and then you're casting ghoulish cravings on everybody as well. <laughs> and I get that, but um, it does, it puts a bit of a limiter on, on that. And like, because it's so uh, action economy dependent, um, it's, I, I find it's definitely not going to be something that you do all the time. Uh, yeah. But, but you could combine it with, very good. you could combine it with the ghoul archetype, like you said, mm-hmm. which oh, for sure. then gives you like a bunch of cooler options as far as like, uh, you know, getting physically in people's faces, in people's faces, plus having you know, the abilities provided to you by this class. So, um, no, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, I like it a lot. It's not my favorite. We're going to actually just now talk about my favorite, but it is, <laughs> it is pretty good. Yeah. So next is the Mazali Necromancer. And we already mentioned it, but it is my absolute favorite. So the whole thing with, uh, the Mazali Necromancer is coupling fire with, the undead, which right. traditionally have not always gone uh together. So this is amazing. And the fact that you just are this force of uh negative and fire energy is just so cool. So this is a primal <laughs> tradition, which makes sense, right? We're talking about elemental abilities. Right. The necromantic skill is society, which is very interesting to me. Uh, it's kind of a, a, a cool touch, right? Because... Up until mm-hmm. now, it's just been the caster skill, right? So it was right. arcana, it was occultism, now it's society, so which is really cool. Uh, and then it gives you the ambition and fire uh, dominions, which totally, like fire, obviously, right? Of yeah. course. So then you get, uh, the first ability you get is burning touch. This is right at first level. When you cast harm using necrotic touch, Okay, so this is um, one of the times where it actively says, no, you can't use your regular spell slots. It has to be your necrotic touch uh, spell slots. And a living target fails or critically fails its fort save. It's going to take persistent fire damage as well. Yeah. And for every level that it is heightened, which harm heightens every level, that persistent fire damage increases by a D4. So even at level three, if they fail their save, they're taking 3d4 persistent fire. Mm-hmm. That is so, legit amazing. Absolutely fantastic version of the class for goblins. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like that would, that is just, oh, you mean that I can do negative energy and I can set things on fire? absolutely yeah no 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 i that's so good like it 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 could not be better uh oh wait yes it can because at fifth level you can actually choose to make all of harm's damage and persistent damage as fire or as negative so every time you cast harm again as necrotic touch that's the the limiter on here can actually choose it as all fire all negative or the initial damage is negative and, and the persistent is fire. This is excellent when you are fighting other undead, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you have the flexibility of I'm going to burn you 
or I'm going to do negative damage. Right. I love it. Love it. I love things that give you flexibility, and that is such a cool ability. My favorite. So, quote unquote, that's all <laughs> for Burning <laughs> Touch, uh, which, trust me, is enough. It's great. Uh, so then at seventh level, you get Necrotic Strike. So you can use Necrotic Touch to cast a Necrotic Strike. This functions as the Flame Strike spell, except it deals 66 fire damage and has a range of 60 feet uh, until it is heightened at at least 5th level. Because the flame is infused with necrotic energy, creatures only apply half their usual fire resistance. Oh, I'm sorry. You thought you were immune to my fire? <laughs> um, no, you're not. Uh, you only use your saving throw as one better. You actually still take my fire damage. <laughs> I love this. Plus the fact that you essentially get a uh, flame strike. Uh, it, it, to be your new necrotic touch. So instead of casting harm, you now get to cast a, a, a modified version of, of Flame Strike, which is just really, really my, cool. My players would absolutely hold this over my head any time that I thought that I was finally having a creature that got to, you know, one up them. They would pull this out and be like, uh, uh, uh. Oh, absolutely. Like like in um the original Jurassic Park. Uh uh. Uh uh. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. I just absolutely love this idea of primal uh necromancy. I just think yeah. it's so cool. And uh taking the uh the fire aspect of it is just perfection. So yeah, it's, it's almost like a, a fire beyond fire kind of mm -hmm. thing like uh, a true primal sort of, of yeah. fire or something that even things that you know no fire are part of fire like even they can't withstand so that's mm -hmm. awesome well, flavor and i love the idea that like narratively you could talk about how your flames actually burn black or purple or green yeah. right because they have that negative energy infused with them yeah no no it, it is pretty much amazing uh definitely my favorite so next is the Osirian Necromancer. So uh, a little bit just about Osirian. They are typically very much against necromancy because mm -hmm. um, uh, many people from Osiria uh, worship Parasma. Uh, and right, it, it is a sort of desert culture and uh, environment. So very much everything having to do with the sun, which... Yeah leads me the, to the uh, dominions you get, which is healing and sun, which is, again, very, very appropriate for that where that necromancer is from. So this is a cult tradition. This is the necromatic skill of medicine. So we've got another healer on our hands here, which totally makes sense, again, for, for our Syrian culture. Uh, and as your... First level ability, you get counter necromancy. You gain the counter spell feat. You can counteract any effect with the necromancy and negative traits using any necromancy spell. Which, so if you know about the counter spell rules in Pathfinder, you might groan <laughs> at this a little bit. But, you know, the, the more that I've actually gotten to do it with my players, the more countering makes sense. Uh, which is basically what's the spell level that they're 
casting at what's your spell level? Is it higher or lower? Okay. And then casting a spell attack to beat the DC. If you beat the DC, you just have to see like how much your rate of success can actually impact a spell if it's higher than yours. That's the quick and easy of of counteract. So don't don't be immediately discouraged by by this class, I would say. Oh, for sure. I also would say that allowing any necromancy spell to be at, to be used as the counter gives you extra flexibility, right? Because normally you have to essentially use the same spell, and you're like, mm, no, I get yeah. to use any necromancy spell, uh, which is great. I will also say, uh, counterspelling is highly underused in all of my uh, Pathfinder games, so I would love to see somebody who is actually like. Uh, focused in on counterspelling. And th- yeah. this definitely allows you to do so, which I think and is cool. Y- and you know what big spell has the necromancy trait on it? That heal? you would get to, yeah, heal every single yeah. time that someone wanted to heal, a- any bad guy that wanted to heal themselves or something, you'd be like, nope. The big boss has a cleric underling that keeps healing him. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Which is Not like so... So Osirian, too, because, like, they typically hate necromancy, so this idea that you use necromancy to counter other necromancers, oh, Mm -hmm. perfection, love it. Yeah. Uh, Then at 5th level, you don't expel the spell slot until you know the result of your counteract check. Ah, so, so you this get to allows save your you spell. exactly, and it allows you to use lower level spell slots, uh, with higher checks. So, like, if you know you're gonna succeed on a, you know, with a second level spell, well, that's all you need to use. Even, mm-hmm. you know, if you weren't sure if you were gonna have to use a fourth level or not. right, love that, and it actually literally spells that out in the text that that's what you can do, which is amazing. Love love stuff like that. Then you also get harm undead when you cast harm you. Using necrotic touch, you can do choose to deal force damage uh, to undead creatures. You can't, you still can't heal living creatures with it, but it gives you added flexibility when you're fighting undead. Right, because any other time that you would use the harm spell, it deals negative damage, which undead famously heal with. So, <laughs> you know, in a game like, uh, you know something that you would get from Book of the Dead, the harm spell would be kind of ineffective, at least against other zombies. But this way, you actually can hurt them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which I just think is is really great. Um, And then finally, and those, this we're still on the abilities you get at level one, by the way. And finally, you get Osirian Blessing. So when... Th- this is kind of conditional, Um, which is, which is why... It doesn't feel like super overpowered or anything. Mm-hmm. If you take the uh, Dominion Initiate feat, right? That's how you get access to Dominions. For the healing domain, you can cast those spells without severance of power restriction, even though they're from your necromancy abilities. So you finally get to be the healer. Exactly. So earlier when I said, you know, most of these necromancers with that severance of power, you don't actually get to heal. This is one of the exceptions to that. Um, This really is built to be sort of that supplemental healing that can can really make or break um, parties. So, Mm -hmm. no, this it's it's absolutely fantastic that they get that. 
and it and it fits well with the sort of Orsirian uh, lore. Right. So then, at seventh level, with your advanced studies, you get Death Warden. You gain the Death Warden feat, which grants you resistance to negative damage. <laughs> This is one of those things that, again, if you're fighting a bunch of other necromancers, that could be really helpful. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's not many abilities that's going to give you resistance to to negative damage other than the Death Warden feat. So that's really great. Personally, it was a little underwhelming, right? Because, like, all of, up until this point, all of the level 7 abilities were kind of cool, right? Like, the Mazali one, you got Necrotic Strike, where you got Flame Strike. And, um, you know, the uh, Cabrian one, you got uh, Fever Touch. And uh, and the Gebite got a dead form, right? Which is really cool. And this one just kind of felt like, like, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Like, the Death Warden mm-hmm. feat is absolutely good. It just was like, oh, oh, okay. All right, that's fine. <laughs> you know, yeah. It was just like a little, a little, not as flashy as the other ones, but very sure. practical. And we, we like a practical uh, ability in this house. Yeah. I mean, like, this would be a great feat. Again, for that heavily undead kind of campaign where uh, negative damage is probably getting thrown left, right, and center. And now, you know, on top of being able to heal, on top of being able to use your harm to uh, to hurt zombies, now you get to resist some of that. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, it's it's not a big giant, you know, flame that you get to shoot out of your hands, but like you have now just become almost immortal in a in a land of the undead so uh yeah it's it's still good even though it's not a huge kamehameha power sure right yeah yeah for sure so yeah with the uh osirian necromancer it's like definitely the i don't know the not the odd one out of the bunch but it's definitely like the anti-necromancer me uh necromancer or the <laughs> eh, i'm not really a necromancer necromancer right like this is somebody who might lie to themselves about actually being a necromancer too sure which would I'm be very like those, fun role play wise those other necromancers right exactly like excuse me i am much better than that <laughs> don't lump me in with them um but you know still kind of hilarious to me so next we have the shinman necromancer and this is one that i i really i just absolutely loved this um it is the other primal option and when i'm going to be talking about these abilities they definitely are going to seem more social a little more uh like out of encounter uh mode more in exploration mode uh dependent and when i first read this through i i'll be honest this was probably my least favorite one hmm. but the more that i've read on specter wood uh and the gossamer path and like um the more i've learned about what like the shinaman necromancer stands for mm-hmm. I, I, i've really grown to love it even more so uh definitely some cool abilities so at first level, you're going to, uh, oh, before that, I, like I said, it's primal. You get nature as your necromantic skill. Totally makes sense. And then your dominions are going to be fate and swarm. Which again, just make a lot of much, a, a lot of sense for where these come from. So at first level, you're going to get speak with dead. Gain a speak with dead action. And starting at 
fifth level, uh, this is um, typically it is a once per day ability. You can mm-hmm. at fifth level you can actually uh, do it every ten minutes, and you can spend a focus point to do it again before that timer is up. So essentially, it can become a use it twice for a focus point, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you you speak with dead, right? You have to be uh, able to interact with a skull or spirit of a creature with whom you share a language, and you can ask them up to three questions. Uh, again, not necessarily something you're going to use mid-combat, but something that could give you a lot of information, especially in some of those social campaigns. I would love to see this used in uh, the Agents of Edgewatch. Right. Yeah. So in in that campaign, like there are some people who you find their bodies, like you could find like their their family members. And I don't know. I just I think there's a lot of potential here. Oh, uh, this also works for the the players who do at least in first edition. Probably my most annoying player hack, which is hmm. uh kill kill the bad guy, uh tie them up. <laughs> And then uh, revivify them. them. Yeah. And then interrogate them for hours. And it's like, no, you killed him. In second edition, when an enemy hits zero, they're dead. So it's like, yes, finally. Uh, But this kind of (laughs) brings it back where at the end, when they're all dead, uh, the person gets to cast this and do their little bits of interrogation. But thankfully, it's only three questions rather than, you know, (laughs) five hours of intimidationals. Yeah, which is still really, really great. Um, Additionally, you could use this uh, to sort of interrogate mid-combat. Be like, what's your weakness, buddy? <laughs> yeah, it does it have way, one to three kind of... actions for so mm-hmm. what's what do you do for the three action? I couldn't figure that uh, out. It, it allows you um to ask the three questions, right? So every question ah. you ask requires an action. Gotcha. Okay. It's a really quick question considering around is six seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. The target can answer simple questions about itself as well as questions about anything that may have witnessed in the area in the last twenty-four hours. Does not make them friendlier than normal. Uh, And so cunning targets are likely to be terse, evasive, or refuse to answer at all. So, like, it doesn't guarantee answers. Which, again, is why I probably wouldn't use it in combat, but you do you. Mm. Yeah. Then at uh, 7th level, you get Talking Corpse, which is essentially the same thing, only extended, right? Like, you can cast that on a corpse, and you can ask them about their life and all kinds of stuff. That, um... It goes as a focus spell and does increase your focus point pool to buy one. Yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. T- to me, kind of, of the options that we've gone over, the more underwhelming, let's say. But I could easily see taking this with the uh, investigator dedication, for example, and being able to be like a... Uh, what's it called like a, a medium detective where uh, you're the one who gets to go around and, or, Oh no, what's the show? What's the show? Uh, dead like me where they mm-hmm. go back and uh, t- talk to dead people for a little bit, or even a better show pushing daisies. Oh my God. That was such a charm show. Yeah. I love it. But yeah, like I, I'm not sure that this is the class for me to go in completely but like with some some other 
working around investigator or uh who's another one that does talking really well bard yeah i could see this being a fun class uh yeah no for sure sorry i got distracted by something else <laughs> I need to remember to mute Discord, otherwise um, everybody will just message me. <laughs> no problem. Just how it goes. Uh, all right. So next, by the way, we'll be coming back to the Shinnaman Necromancer when we talk about feats, because there's a whole line of feats that go with this that also augment what you can do from a more combat standpoint. So ah. keep that in mind. We'll get back. All right. But for now, we're going to move on to the Spirit Singer. Uh, spirit singing is so cool. So this is inspired by uh, Ulfin champions and the Valkyries, uh, Valenhall, which is all loosely, very loosely based on uh, Norse mythology. So this is really cool. And this is a divine tradition with a necromantic skill of performance. It's a spirit singer. Of course, it's performance with the dominions of confidence and might, which I love that. So this is definitely going to be your battle necromancer. So at first level, you get Ulfin training. So you get a shield block reaction. You're trained in medium armor. Uh, and you get uh, to be trained in either a battle axe, a bow staff, or a long sword. Uh, whenever your professions, proficiency ranks in armor or weapons increases, your proficiency with those... Uh, it, also increase, right? Which, super great. At 5th level, you gain weapon specialization, and at 15th level, you get greater weapon specialization. So, you are the type of necromancer who's gonna get in people's faces, right? You yes. are gonna pe beat people up with your battle axe, and then raise them as skeletons. Yep. Here for Fighter. it. Fighter. Fighter necromancer. At, exactly. Uh, which, you know, speaks for itself, but is also just kind of fun. Yeah. At 7th level, you get Necrotic Blade. Now, this is really cool. If your last action was a successful melee strike, and you have at least one use of Necrotic Tetraining, so this is very similar to the uh, Cabrian one that we talked about earlier, Right. you use a Necrotic Touch to cast harm on the same target without triggering reactions. So you hit somebody with your Battle Axe, which takes a single action. Mm -hmm. This ability takes two actions. So just can't do it in the same round that you move. Sorry. Um, you are casting a spell, which again has the manipulate trait. Yeah, not everybody has um attacks of opportunity anymore, but a lot of creatures, especially at higher levels, still have it. So you still gotta be careful. And the target counts as having failed its fort save. Although if you crit your first attack, it crit fails its save automatically. And that and to that me is the big reason for Mm -hmm. Doing this rather than like a separate melee strike plus harm is that automatic fail of the fortitude save. You're basically getting, you know, free damage at that point. Yep. Yeah. It definitely is a sink in terms of actions, right? Because yeah. you have to have the melee strike and it specifies melee. So you can't do this with bows and arrows or anything either. Yeah. Um, And then it uses two actions to cast that harm. Um, but you're already in melee, right? So technically, you could just use harm normally, but they don't get that fort save. And that's the benefit of it, is the yes. fact that they don't even get that fort save. So uh, I think it's very uh, thematic. And I think that especially 
if you're going for a more like melee focused build, this is the way to go. Like if you if you're gonna be a melee style necromancer, spirit singer, go for it. Have fun. <laughs> uh it's it's pretty great. Uh it, it's I hate to say it, but I really like a lot of these. And the more that I've had time to like read each one, the more I love them. So like, I'll be honest, like, like I said earlier, the Shinman Necromancer, Shinman Necromancer, I was like probably my least favorite. I mm-hmm. it probably still is, but not really. Like, I love all of them. They're all really thematic and great. And I just feel like there's a ton that you could do with it. So they, they all I really have, like this one. They all have a, vibe. A, a purpose, a vibe, yeah, a vibe to them. And yeah, it, it really makes it great that you you can find a niche for your necromancer in this book. Like, if it's a social campaign, absolutely. Uh, Shenman ne- Necromancy. And maybe even not, but maybe it's one with more intrigue. That's still a viable option. Maybe you're in like Fist of the Ruby Phoenix and stuff where spellcasting is good, but maybe you want to be someone who's more fighter. Then absolutely spirit singing necromancer is going to be right up your alley. So, you know, not everything has to be creepy skeleton looking guys with horns raising the dead, but there is definitely that place too. So it's great that there's a variety of choices here, which is famously what Pathfind- what makes Pathfinder such a great game. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I just think that so many of these things can, can fit in at your table. And the more and more I read about the Necromancer, the more I'm like, hmm, if I ever get to play, I, this might be the class that I play. All right, but moving on, we have my second favorite. Uh, I like... It's, trust me, it's close, but this one's still pretty good. Uh, And it is the Urgothoan Necromancer. Now, as we talked about earlier, Urgothoa is one of my absolute favorite deities. She's uh, the the deity of pestilence and is known as the Pallid Princess. Her artwork is right above her chest uh, and, and her arms are fully human, right? She has dark hair and, and pale skin. And then right below her chest, uh, she is a zombie. Uh, or really a skeleton. And so, oh, hold on one second. Sure. Ugh, okay, Aww, sorry. Kitty. Yeah, um, sometimes my cat is very annoying, and I don't think he's gotten dinner yet. So um, <laughs> he he just clawed my leg. But anyway, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. So, so above her chest, she looks like a pale... A uh, human woman with uh, dark black hair uh, and, and, and pale skin, dark eyes. And then below her chest, uh, she is a skeleton uh, with actually her entrails and blood are dripping down um, mm. from her rib cage. And it is just so good. And the community has put out such great artwork of her as well. And usually you see her like leaning on her scythe, which is just so cool. It's so cool. And her, her symbol is actually um, a moth with a skull on its wings. Oh, it's just, I'm obsessed. I love her so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge. some great memes of uh, Ergothoa just kind of like coyly looking at Phrasma being like, what are you going to do? I exist. <laughs> yeah, I would 100% love to read a short story of like interactions between the two of them. Uh, it'd be so great. Uh, really, yeah. really fun. But anyway, so the Ergothoan Necromancer uh, is our other divine necromancer. 
One second. Uh, which gets the religion skill. So, mm-hmm. you know, nothing like super crazy there. Uh, for your uh, dominions, you get indulgence and plague, which both are just so perfect for the theme. Uh, absolutely love it. So at, at first level, you are uh, able to cast goblin pox. So you add um, that disease to your, that spell to your repertoire. And then at third level, you actually get ghoulish cravings, which we've talked about a little bit earlier. Goblin pox is one of my absolute favorite diseases that players can cast. It's it's a lot of fun uh, and it, very useful. Then you have a communicable harm. This is, again, you get at first level. So when you cast harm on a creature that is from necrotic touch or from your spell list, either one, any creature within five feet that failed against your harm spell within the last minute uh, must also save against the effect if they haven't already. So essentially... I know that's a lot to to kind of process. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this is a ramp up effect. Every yes. time you cast harm, uh, you're gonna want to target another creature, and then as you level up, your range gets bigger and bigger. But you essentially then can cast harm against two things, even using the one actions uh version of it. Right? You still yes. have to be able to touch that initial creature. But then say one of them moves away, just, you know, takes a step action away from you. Well, tough luck, buddy. You're still getting affected by my harm that I'm going to cast next. It flows exactly with the plague, pestilence mm-hmm. vibe of this one is you are spreading a disease in the same way that like a chain lightning effect would go. But in this case, it's harm rather than, you know, COVID-19. <laughs> or something yeah yeah right that is definitely the vibe here um so at uh fifth level you actually are able to cast harm from the space of any creature that has failed your save in the last minute as well so again you get this chain effect right of like okay i cast harm against you and then i cast harm against you and you keep going down the line and i mean they can try to outrun you <laughs> it's not gonna work right which i just i love that and, and again this isn't now. even a disease spell yeah, yeah yeah right this is harm this is just just the spell harm and yet it acts like this disease vector and it's just so cool it's it's really I, thematically appropriate i i would be really interested to see how well this one plays um because with with the Ergothor and Necromancer, to me, it's almost like, all right, if you're not a disease and you're not the spell harm, I am no longer interested in you. I'm not taking any other spells, and I'm just going to cast harm a million times a day. Uh, right. It just has that that vibe. Well, and and other disease spells, which we'll get to. So then, at seventh level, uh, you get advance affliction. So when, or, or excuse me, the first time a creature fails against harm, it also advances the stage of any affliction that it suffers from right so if you've got your diseases up uh then you cast harm well guess what that affliction is going to advance to the next stage which is really cool and at ninth level you actually get a blissful plague to to add to your spell list so like it's very thematic it's super cool i would love to see it at the table because it's Mm-hmm. It's very neat. And I just love this idea of someone who, you know, worships Ergothoa 
let's say maybe not the nicest person, not necessarily totally evil, uh, but is just constantly um, spreading disease and despair wherever they go. It just, it's so fun. <laughs> maybe that makes me a twisted human being. I'm fine with it. <laughs> I don't know that you'd be taking this class unless there was just a little bit. A little bit of twistedness you. to you. Yeah. So next up is the Whispering Way, which I'm going to talk about because this is my favorite. And the it's first thing great. that the first thing that I want to do for this is I'm going to read the entirety of the text leading up to like the description of your abilities and stuff because it's so good. Okay, ready? <laughs> yeah, uh, real quick, before you do that, I do want to specify, I haven't been reading all of the, the flavor text. If you want all of the flavor text, which is really, really good, you're going to have to buy the book. It's five bucks. Yes. Go buy it. Not Actually, that much. I think it might be seven bucks. But whatever price it is, it's totally <laughs> worth There is no price too high to pay for this. Well, they're probably- I don't know about that, but- <laughs> <laughs> But, it, I mean, it, it's very, very good. Extremely yes. good. But this one is too good to pass up. So, Fair. after exhausting all means of learning what you can about the return of the Whispering Tyrant, you recognize what you believe to be the truth of the veil that parts the living world from the dead, and you seek to tear it down so others can see it for themselves. You know the system of death itself is broken, stacked against those who don't conform the unnecessary laws of selfish deities, but you are also patient. You have read too many historical accounts of others like you who played their hand too soon and drew the attention of petulant fools, insistent on maintaining the status quo. For now, you adventure. There is time. And once you achieve lichdom, there will be enough to finally begin your true. Oh my god, that's so cool. I feel like that ha has to end with a good mwahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahahah
ability lets you fire a ray of sickening energy. And for any GM, you know the power of Mm -hmm. something being sickened. It ruins everything. Everything. And so not only on a critical success do they become sickened too, but also slowed one for as long as it's sickened. So... Ah, that's just uh, perfect. Uh, Really lets you screw things up for whatever creature you're going up against. Uh, At fifth level, you also gain a plus one status bonus to the attack roll you make when you cast that spell. So you get to be even more powerful with that specific spell, particularly. And then at seventh level, when you get to psych, you uh, you get to then at seventh level, you get to siphon. Life with the life siphon spoke it, uh, focus spell it increases the amount of focus points that you get to do. But the cool thing about life siphon, it's a reaction. And once you sp- uh, expend a spell slot to cast a spell from the necromantic school, you get to use that spell magic to heal yourself. So just the mere action of casting a spell is going to rejuvenate you, which is like amazing. You're, you're taking someone's life by casting harm, but also like feeding from it. And it oh, it's so good. So uh, there's a little note that the Abomination Dominion grants Necromancers part the veil as an alternate first level focus uh, spell. So keep that in mind as well. So part the veil is actually one of the the spells described on or, or in the book, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, I just love the idea that it uh, gives you a different feat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually on page. It says it's on page sixteen, but it's actually on seventeen. Uh, part the veil is an illusion spell. So it's not actually an even a necromancy spell. Uh, so again, really, really cool. Uh, it causes targets to see beyond the world of the living. This is very, like, <laughs> 1920s um, spiritualism, mm-hmm. uh, which whenever I think about, like, uh, mediums and stuff like that, that's, like, always what I think about. And whenever I hear, like, part the veil, I think of, like... Uh, f- charlatans and um, Mm -hmm. stage magicians doing tricks and stuff. That's what I think of whenever I hear stuff like that. So I I love it. I think it's thematically great. (laughs) The prestige. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. But no, I I like that the the Whispering Way is focus point-based, essentially, right? Like, their big thing is your focus point spells, which auto-heighten, and you automatically, without taking any feats, get... Uh, two focus points. Yeah. Just, which is amazing. You don't have to do any, anything else. You're just going to get two focus points just by the nature of having this class. So, which kind of leads us straight into feats, which is the next thing we're going to talk about, which you're going to take all of the feats regarding focus points, right? If you're whispering way, let's just be real here. Those are going to be the feats that you take. (laughs) A lot of them, for sure. So, uh... That transitions us really good into feats, but before we do that, uh, is there anything else that you want to say about the uh, necromantic studies or these subclasses? I'm a big fan. I am too. Um, I think a lot of it kind of just depends on what you're going to be doing in your campaign, which is why it's really important to talk talk to your GM about what kind of expectations to have when going in 
to play because, you know, if you're going to be in a totally water-based campaign where everything <laughs> has resistance to fire. Yeah, no, maybe, maybe not the thing. Yeah, maybe not the thing for Mizali until you get to higher levels. Or, you know, if you're going to be facing off a lo- against a lot of, like, one-part baddies where, you know, it's not, like, whole hordes of people, then the Urgothan uh, school is probably not going to be your favorite because there's only going to be, like, one big dragon. You know, you don't get to use that spell to its fullest efficiency. Um, but that said, if you do talk to your GM, first off, because you always should before doing anything non paizui I think. Um, mm-hmm. But just get a little clarification without, spo- they don't have to spoil the entire campaign, but just like, what could I expect from this? Is this one where I'm going to face a lot of undead? Is this a campaign where uh, we're going to require a lot of healing? Is this a campaign where uh, I'm going to get to be a little bit evil? Um, that's the kind of stuff that you should always talk to them about. And that to me is going to inform your choice of school a little bit more than just like what you want to take because you know if if you're going to take this uh this class into an 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 adventure path a pre-written adventure path for example the gm's going to have a pretty good idea about what you're going to face again like fist of the ruby phoenix you're probably going to be doing a lot of martial based stuff so maybe uh just be aware so maybe, of that. yeah so just you know to be aware of that but if you're doing a homebrew campaign which is a favorite of many gms just get an idea about what to expect and then let that inform your decision i don't think that there's necessarily a wrong choice especially from the feats that we're going to go into which is really going to make up like like any class the core of of your player but these schools do add like a huge chunk of the flavor of your class so if you know if you're not feeling like you're getting the most out of your school of necromancy choice uh just talk to your gm that's always the first thing talk to your gm get a good idea about what you're doing and let that inform where you go agree i mean i'm of always of the the thought to be in constant conversation with your gm i don't think that gms should be something that like one you should never be scared of asking your gm for things that's not a good relationship that's if you are scared to ask your gm stuff you're sitting at the wrong table Yeah. yeah Exactly. And and the other thing that I always like to, to point out, and people who have heard me over on my podcast are probably sick of me hearing it, you're, a GM is just another player at the table. Yes, yeah. I have a different role, but when it comes down to it, we're all friends at a table playing a game together, right? And so, like, you know, I should be helping to facilitate uh, sort of parts of your story, Right. Because it isn't just my story. It's our story. We're playing this together. And so as a necromancer, you know, I would just be in, you know, constant conversation of like, you know, this is where I'm wanting to go with it. Oh, you know, last session blew my mind. Uh, I'm going to change my direction a little bit. Right. And like, that's part of the fun of playing is um, seeing that evolution of your character. So, you know, just just. Talk to your GM. Yeah. The only last thing that I'll add to keep in mind, and this will be, this is a thing for what we'll talk about for the entire duration of this show. But because of the inherent nature of third party materials, that also means that they're likely, 
you're going to do the lion's share of support work for it. Uh, so that's something you have to keep in mind with any of these is that you're going to be the one who has to know these things. It's not going to be something that's filled up by VTT Foundry or Path Builder mm-hmm. that you can easily input stuff. You're going to have to know what your tradition is, what that means. You're going to have to know what your dominions mean. You're going to have to keep in mind your uh, your first level abilities and your advanced studies. Uh, so that's an important consideration as well is what level of book working are you going to be comfortable with when taking any of these classes any third party class until they get that which honestly i would love to see this added to vtt <laughs> so foundry cool. or path builder because i think it's at that level of quality personal but oh i agree anyway. and here's the thing like you talk about book work it really makes it easy to find everything and yes. that is one thing that i'm the only thing and i say this for every single pdf i ever pick up i wish i had bookmarks but that <laughs> takes time to do and tr- like already there's so much writing that goes into that i don't blame them but yeah like Bookmarks make it even easier, but even then, I think it's very easy to find things in this book. Yeah, but it, if you know how to read a, a class, you, you're going to know how to read this one. So yeah, exactly. anyway, let's go into the feats. Let's talk feats. So the first feat that I absolutely, we have to talk about, now, just to let you guys know in deep dives, I don't typically talk about every single feat. Um, the way that I'm going to do it here is I'm going to talk about a few individual feats, but mostly I'm going to talk about feat chains, right? These are feats that sort of logistically feed into one another. Right. So the first one is the Dominion, Dominion Initiate. We've already talked about this and referenced it many times, but it is a feat that you can pick up at first level. Uh, also, in my opinion, top tier first level feat. Like, I love the uh, Dominions. Yes, I understand that they're very similar to Domains. I don't care. Additions that this book has included with spells and stuff, very, very nice. So, highly recommend. The first sort of chain that I wanted to talk about was the uh, Cabrian feat chain, which starts with Priest King's Legacy. So this this is what I was talking about earlier when with your ghoulish transformation. Like, this is what you're going to take when you've taken the ghoul archetype, right? Mm. You are everything ghoul. This is only going to improve that. So it does, uh, it is makes your claws permanent and increases their damage die. Um, additionally, when you get your jaw attack, it is permanent and gains the fatal D10 trait, which fatal dice are just a fun treat. <laughs> like, I, I really like that. So I think that's a really great sort of way to make the uh, uh, melee attacks even more power. Um, other one... Undead Companion. Oh, no, I was talking about for the Cabrian Necromancer, but my PDF reader was like, you want to do what now? <laughs> okay. And not. Uh, so there is one more sort of in that uh, feat, what I call chain, uh, which is uh, you can actually take it as a Cabrian or Whispering Way, and that is uh, allows you to cast harm to gain basic uh, undead benefits for uh, a while. So essentially it's called Glimpse of Perfection and it allows you to gain the benefits of being an undead. Which, if you're, say, alive, but really need to heal yourself, 
this is a way that you could actually heal yourself using harm, Mm -hmm. which is kind of fun. Uh, The next sort of, uh, sort of feat that I wanted to talk about was the Shinnaman feats. So the first one is at uh, level four, and that is uh, Jerome... I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this. Jorogumo legs, which <laughs> essentially allows you to grow spider legs out of your back, and then you get spider climb. Which is cool. Oh, it's super cool. It also is really um, thematic with the uh, the other... Or, or with that particular necromancer path because of the region that it comes from, right? With the Shinman necromancer, you're talking about the specter wood, right? Yeah. So, like, giant spiders and stuff? Absolutely. Uh, the other one for that sort of builds off of that is at 14th level, you get Joro... I can never pronounce this word. Jorogumo form. form. uh, which essentially allows you a battle form. So you get the insect form uh, and you become a spider, which is just uh, really cool and fun. Yes. So kind of uh, love it. It's, it's, it made like the uh, Shinman uh, Necromancer kind of click more for me, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to like, oh, you can now turn into a spider and you can talk to the undead. And you're from this mysterious wooded area. Uh, you know, it just it, it just kind of like clicked for everything. It fits really well. Exactly. And then and then the feet tree or or chain, as you'd call it, that really calls to me as what I would think of as a traditional necromancer is being able to call up the undead with the undead companions. Um, so tell us about those feats. Yeah, so the Undead Companions are actually really fun. Um, so first you get uh, Undead Companion at level one, which allows you to have uh, an active companion, which is really <laughs> weird language, I like it, um, that uh, follows you around uh, and essentially acts as the uh as a um an animal companion now the reason that i say it's an active companion is because you can have up to four of these guys and they follow you around right but the rest are in an inactive state so you can't attack them but you still have your horde following you right i also really love that it, it literally says uh Companions can be easily tucked away into an inventory or stored in a nearby crypt. I'm sorry, uh, are you just taking your undead companion <laughs> out of your backpack? Yeah, it, like, sounds like it. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I love the idea. I get this vision of my in my head of um, the movie The Pacifier, which is uh, a comedy with uh, Vin Diesel, where he is babysitting a bunch of kids, essentially. <laughs> and I just get this imagine of like a necromancer built like Vin Diesel, but on his chest is strapped a little baby carrier and inside <laughs> is a little, uh, uh, like a small creature skeleton going, <laughs> look, Love I it. never said that I was a stable human being, <laughs> but here we are, uh, yeah. which is just really, really fun. Um, you do, there are a couple of feats that sort of feed into this. You get the call companion action, which allows you to essentially raise a skeleton or, you know, whatever, um, undead you want to raise. 
then at um, a second level, you can actually take uh, undead companions can be any animal companion, so not just the undead type. Um, they do so gain when the, the rangers. So when the ranger's animal companion dies, you just get to take him yes. over to your side. Yeah, he he definitely becomes mindless and gains the traits and immunities of an undead companion. But yeah, yeah, you you raise that wolf as your own, and uh, <laughs> when the ranger gets mad at you, be like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you doing anything for him. He you buried him out in the woods. What do you want?" Uh, which is um kind of hilarious to me. And then at um uh fourth level, you actually get an additional companion. Um so it it because it has the young trait which is still. But again, you get the baby skeleton strapped to your chest. I don't know what use that would be to you, but <laughs> you can do it. Um <laughs> I don't know why I I love it. Uh, you also get Mature Companion at level 4. Essentially, you get all of the different companion feats uh, for Undead Companions. So you get yeah. uh, Incredible Companion at level 8. And then uh, Undead Bond you get at level 10. So that's you can tele- uh, telepathically communicate with your companion, uh, which could be extremely helpful. And then at 14th level, you get Specialized Companion. So now you get uh, a specialization for them. I mean, you also get to command undead and better at commanding the undead. So, Absolutely. Yeah, you you are definitely at at very early levels going to have an army of skeletons or zombies at your fingertips, and it's only going to grow and get more powerful or have bigger things in your little, you know, menagerie of corpses. <laughs> yeah. Now, one of the things that I would say, you mentioned Command Undead. I actually want to talk about that feat in particular, and only as an example, because there's actually quite a few feats uh, that have this, and this is one of the things that I think is absolutely ingenious. And I hope not only Paizo, but more third-party publishers do this as well. So you have the Command Undead feat. Right. It's exactly what you would think. Um, it has uh, you have to use your necrotic touch. Uh, you tra- uh, transform um, the harm spell and the creature becomes controlled by you instead. However, at the very bottom, it has something that says the whispering way. Mm-hmm. If you are a whisper necromancer, the target's level can be equal to or lower than your level minus two instead of what's written, which is minus three. But if it is, the duration of failure is sus- uh, or critical failure is- has to be sustained uh, for up to a minute, which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. So a lot of these feats will have a bonus for certain uh, necromatic studies, right? So there's another uh, feat that's Soul Eater, right? You make a melee uh, strike and then you regain hit points. But if you're a Spirit Singer, right, which was our melee-based one, Mm -hmm. uh, you can use this as a reaction instead of a base action. And I absolutely love this idea that the feat, anybody can take the feat, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a requirement, So it doesn't matter what subclass you pick. You can gain this feat and it's fine, but there is an additional benefit being this specific subclass. 
And I want that for everything. It could get a lot of utility if properly applied to to things, especially like we keep on coming back to the Kinesis, but also kind of have to because Kinesis like this class has so many uh, gates associated mm-hmm. with it. And every single gate has its own 10, Flavor. 12 uh, feet that come with it. This kind of puts two feet in one. Mm-hmm. And, exactly. Yeah. And that's pretty great because save space, which, you know, is good for Paizo publishing. Publisher. But also like adds a little bit of extra flavor depending on your choices. And because choice is such an important thing for Pathfinder players, knowing that like this soul eater is that much more beneficial to you because you chose the spirit singer is going to be a huge you know thing for players. So I'd love to see it in more games too. No, I agree. I, I think it's really, really neat and definitely something I had not seen before. And uh, something I want to see more of now that I've seen it. it it's yeah. very innovative. Uh, but that's kind of it. There's a lot of different feats. There's a whole feat line for Ergothoa, uh, Ergothoan uh, Necromancer that goes into diseases and stuff. So, like, definitely um, check that out. I wish there were some more, like specialized feats for all of the different specialties uh, or the necromantic studies. But there's also eight necromantic studies and this book is already 24 pages long. So like there was definitely a limiting factor. So yes, um, yes, I want to see more, but it's because what's here is already so good. Right. Yes. So I, I just, I want more. I want more. <laughs> um, so yeah, about but I, some of them, some of them get double use. So mm-hmm. you're, Kind of getting maybe like a a quarter, maybe a third more feats in the feats that you already have. No, for sure. But now I want to talk archetypes. Yes. Oh, so now there are two cool archetypes: uh, the necromancer and the spell trickster. Uh, The necromancer archetype is like a dedication where you're just going to take a couple of the things that you already got or could get as a full class, but at every even level is a new feat. Um, to me, the big archetype here is the spell trickster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I was actually just gonna say there isn't too much that about the uh, necromancer dedication. It's very similar to other um, necromancer or, or other dedications. Excuse me. The one thing that I would like to mention is that at, at level six you do actually get uh you you can choose to pick the necrotic touch class feature and for what we talked about I, that would be pretty cool so i would really love to see a cleric like built out with the necromancer dedication <laughs> right but yes so when we're talking about the spell trickster uh which is the other archetype in this book uh the spell trickster dedication was originally in the grand bazaar book uh but there've already been third-party publishers that we already talked about that have released additional pathways for the spell trickster this is just a- a- another one right right uh which is really great Especially because the spell trickster dedication as it stands just didn't have that necromancer feel to it. And this uh, gives you access to some really neat feats. 
the one that I really want to highlight, which is kind of funny, but this literally came up in a game uh, just last week for me. So at level four, you can actually select Stabilize Undead. Losing undead minions is always a challenge, especially <laughs> when even necromancy can't allow them to come back more than once. Luckily, you've developed a temporary solution. It reads like an infomercial. <laughs> it's so great. Like, I just really want a guy to be, like, trying to put bones up in his cabinet, but then the cabinet <laughs> flies over, the bones are flying everywhere. He's like, oh, what do I do? Right. I don't know why, but that's the mental image I get. But this this actually came up. So an NPC that my 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 players, this is a game for um Extinction Curse, and they're on uh book five. So they're actually aligned right now with some undead creatures, and they're they're uh having this NPC, you know, essentially show them around. And she, you know, is obviously fighting with them, and she gets gets crit by these creatures which have an aura of um uh, unluck so you you have to roll twice uh and she failed her save and then critically failed her save and so she took a boatload of damage and dropped and um <laughs> my players were going to cast stabilize on her and i was like hey y'all just a reminder she's undead you can't do that <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean we can't do that? And like, one of my players literally had to look up stabilize and it, it actively says like, you can't use this on, on undead creatures. And they were like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. Too bad. So go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. that's it. It, it. it just cracks me up. And so all of these, which is kind of the, the, the spell tricksters deal, right? Is taking a spell and expand upon it or, or doing something cool with it. Well, with the spell trickster, uh, with the specialty of necromancy, right? You're able to dual do really cool things. So there's plague keeper, uh, which expands upon goblin pox, um, which it which is really cool. Um, there's uh animate undead troop. <laughs> so if you can cast uh animate dead, um, you summon a troop of appropriate level undead, uh, like a skeleton infantry or, um, you know, m a bunch of, of skeletal monsters. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Uh, it's mind really you, that's good. a level 16 feet. So yeah, um, the, the spell trickster is pretty great. Skeleton troops are level 11 monsters. <laughs> so, or you know, creatures. So it's mm -hmm. pretty powerful. I love it. Great. Thing. Oh yes. Yeah. No, no, I, I absolutely do. And if you want to play that type of necromancer, that's like horde of undead, this may be one of the ways to do it is actually through the, um, spell trickster. So yeah, no, I, it is it, pretty great. I really love it. So, so that leads us into ancestry options, right? We've talked all about the necromancer, the different ways you can do necromancy, either through spell trickster dedication uh, or, or necromancer dedication or the necromancer itself. What ancestry options fit nicely? For me, it's a, a bit of a, a cheat. Um, and I'm going to say all of the archetypes that are in the Book of the Dead. Right? Yeah. So that's going to be your vampire, your ghoul uh, that we've already talked about a lot. These are going to fit thematically perfect 
for your character. The lich even. Oh yeah, the lich is like absolutely piped. But if we're talking about actual ancestries, I'm going to have to go with skeleton. Right. Because of course I am. Uh, <laughs> right, it's from Book of the Dead. Um, It gives a charisma boost, which is already great. Um, you get undead benefits. You're gonna need that negative healing. It's gonna be great. Yeah, and there's it's the only actual undead one, but there is also a couple of the um I need to start that again. Swall skeleton is also the only one that has undead as a full ancestry. There's also a bunch of the heritages and versatile heritages. Um, that would fit along with this pretty well too. Uh, Damphir, Duskwalker, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those would be, you know, Fantastic. right up the alley. Yeah. Um, but on the subject of like, you know, full ancestries, while any ancestry, of course, can do this well, I would really love to see a Galoma uh play a necromancer. Uh, which for those of you who are unfamiliar with Galoma. There's probably a reason for that because they're very rare, uh, but they're an incredible yeah. ancestry brought up in Mwangi Expanse book. They look like these kind of demon horses. And because of just like their otherness, um, I I would love to see them, you know, play as necromancers who are just kind of like fiddling with life as though it was just another bit of magic, like not even thinking, not even able to comprehend like why people would have a problem with this when they're cleaning up spell spills with magic, catching things on fire. It's just like, well, there was this dead parrot on the ground and I made it do things for, for me. That's not so weird. Why do you think it's weird? Yeah. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> so um, Gloma Kenrasu would be super fun. Also from Mwangi mm. Expanse. An, uh, uh, another one that's very like other, right? And so they're yeah. looking at undead from a, a completely different perspective. Yeah. And of course, humans are going to want to try to oh, find yeah. uh, ways to beat death. Um, but, you know, it could also be interesting to, you know, have like an elf who, even though they have these super long uh, lifespans, uh, maybe have gotten disillusioned with the whole concept of life, uh, which is, you know, why they are fine with bringing things back from the dead, because they're just like, you know what? Everything lives, everything dies, nothing matters, whatever. (laughs) So. The most emo. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, I think those are all some really, really great options. Um, overall, when it comes to the Necromancer, I really, really like it. If I ever get a chance to play, I'm probably going to go with the Mazali or the Ergothoan. But I'll be honest, as we were talking about it today, um, the spirit singer was really calling to me. And now I want to build like a fighter spirit singer, uh, combo kind of class. So like mm-hmm. there's, there's just so much that you can do with this. It's so much like seeped in, um, Galarian lore. So good. Uh, I feel like a lot of time went into this. Do I wish that there were maybe some more um, options? Absolutely. I would really have loved to have seen a Mazali, like, feet uh, treat, right? Where you could keep building upon that fire theme. Um, And there really wasn't that. So, like, when we come down to it, like, there are definitely things that I would love to see 
if they ever published a a second like a necromancer book um but as it stands there's so much here and there are e- even if you just get it for the spell trickster archetype that's fine those feats are great but i would challenge you to actually make a, a, a necromancer and if you if you ever have a one shot go you know full in on it and and mm-hmm. play one of these options because there's just some really cool stuff and i guarantee you're gonna learn something that you didn't know before about galarian yes um from my end which is mostly the the gm perspective uh i am cautiously optimistic about this uh this class um the only reason i say that is not because I don't think that these are incredible classes, incredible schools uh, to do. The feats are really cool and flavorful. Um, The part that as a GM, I could see probably maybe being an issue is how a player utilizes it, uh, which is a case for anything. But the Necromancer more than almost any other class uh, could kind of be a gateway to maybe some problematic things. Um, It also brings up, you know, if anyone has uh, triggers to dead, which is something that you as a GM probably should have talked about in your session zero with players, just to make sure that everyone's cool with that. Um, But it's, it's something that you definitely need to make sure that if a player is asking to play this, that you have a good read on if they're the right player that can handle it. Because, it would be very easy for the wrong kind of player, I think, to make this a very unpleasant experience at your table. Not because this class is not well made. It is inarguably well made to me. It is the perception of what a necromancer is, though, that could make it so that, you know, players fall into the, the well, that's what my character would do. <laughs> yeah, and which I hate. Leads, yeah, leads to never leads to <laughs> fun fun things it's just exactly. an excuse so um as long as you have the right player for it and the right campaign for it and everyone is cool with it i think that this is a great class i would love to have a player in one of my campaigns use the necromancer as Same. again as long as they can do all the booking and stuff for it because as a third party thing and as a gm i can't know your character sheet uh i'm concentrating on story <laughs> on npcs mm-hmm. and stuff so you really do have to be responsible for knowing what your character does and can do and you know how they level up um so that's what i would say is it's great, but make sure that you are going into it uh, with a good conversation between yourself as a GM and the player. Yeah, no, for sure. But I think that that leaves us. I think uh, yeah. we have exhausted the Necromancer. <laughs> we have thoroughly dived into it. Uh, there are, of course, a lot of things that you can still discover about it by uh, purchasing the Samurai Sheepdog book um, on oh, please. Uh, Pathfinder Infinite or Drive Through RPG. Um, pretty sure you could also get it on Paizo's website. But anyway, there will definitely be links in the show notes. Please consider getting it. And whether it's because you want to play a necromancer or you want to learn more about different, you know, undead kind of traditions in Galarian, or you just want to take one of the archetypes. This is a fantastic book. It adds a lot 
to your game and makes a class that could be very poorly done, very well done, in my opinion. So uh, with that, well, is that how I want it? That's not how I want it. So with that, uh, Beth, that Beth, do you have uh, any... Uh, <laughs> We've been at this for like three hours, so I get yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. So Beth, uh, where can people find more of you if they want to uh, listen to your podcast or just see your thoughts? Sure. So definitely go check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Dice Don't Die podcast. Uh, it's a great time. We do a lot of these deep dives on published Paizo content, and I am harassed by my other co-hosts um, <laughs> because that they're my players, and that's what they like to do. Uh, we have a good nice time over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you definitely were, 100%. Uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter at FayeTheGM. Uh, there I put post all my good Paizo hot takes, as well as things that are going in my life, and wonderful animal pics so always a good time and of course you can follow me at rulelord 2 e on twitter if you have something that you'd like to be featured on infinite adventures uh please email me at rulelord 2 e at gmail.com all we ask for is a complimentary review copy and uh we'll work with you to set up a time to be able to discuss it and deep dive into it and, you know, let people know about your cool product. Um, if you want to know more about other third-party things, though, I have to plug a convention that I'm working on called Third Party Con, uh, otherwise known as TPK, uh, where uh, we're going to basically be the... Uh, we're basically going to be the PaizoCon of third-party content. We're going to have streams with... Uh, other podcasts, other content creators with uh, publishers, freelancers, as well as having a gaming portion where you'll be able to try out third-party adventures, classes, feats, um, and all of that stuff. Uh, so just like PaizoCon, but all third-party stuff, because we think that third-party is just as legitimate a way to game as stuff published by Paizo. So with that, we'll see you on, on the next, the next adventure. adventure. Startling shrilly screams. Those